Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Windsor. This is the very last episode for the series and it's an absolute cracker and very Christmassy as well. But before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to let you know that I have opened up early bird places for my book proposal group program, which begins on January 24th. If you want to write a book proposal in 2023, then this is your chance to get all of the support that you need. You can visit pennywinsorwrites.com forward slash book proposal group to get more of the details. And the link is also in the show notes. As ever, my my newsletter is an excellent place to get all of these latest offers, including online workshops, the next of which is in early January as well. Now on to today's guest. Lindsay Kelk is a Sunday Times bestselling author of more than 20 books, um, including I Heart New York and On a Night Like This. Her latest book, The Christmas Wish, is out now. I had such a brilliant time chatting with Lindsay about subverting Christmas Hallmark movie tropes, just how difficult it is to write a time loop novel, especially when you aren't a planner, and the fantasy of getting a chance to do everything over again. Lindsay is a full-time novelist after working for many years in publishing, and we do a bit of a deep dive into the realities of being working class in this industry. And we also talk quite a bit about what it's like being a successful author in a genre that's often ignored and maligned by the rest of the industry. The Christmas Wish is hilarious and heartwarming and everything you might want from a romantic comedy at this time of year. And Lindsay, of course, is incredibly generous with her advice, as well as spreading the love of her fellow romance authors. I'm sure that you'll enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed chatting with Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Um, You have a very uh, festive Christmas tree right behind you that I can see. Um, Perfect. I do, yeah. Get started on um, talking about, let's talk about your latest book, first of all, The Christmas Wish, wish, which is out now. Um, uh, It was such a joy to read. It was such a joy. And I felt very lucky to get an early copy and be able to get festive a little bit early. But I guess (laughs) I wanted to start with like asking about, um, about, the story itself, which is a Groundhog Day um, story, um, yes. and I wanted to know what it was like to um, to write a story on like a, about a, with a really beloved trope that lots of people absolutely adore. Was it a bit scary? Was it super fun? Was it a little bit of both? Oh, I I really wish I could just be like, oh my god, it was magnificent and so much fun, and I loved it because that the book was supposed to be. Is supposed to be fun and funny, um, but the writing of it was an absolute nightmare. Uh, I thought it was, I was very naive and let's be honest, arrogant, um, went into it thinking, oh, this is so easy because it's all there. It's all set up and I've never thought to do this before. And it's going to be really fun and really simple because you haven't got to come up with all these different locations and you haven't got to come up with all these different characters, you know, like you're stuck in one place and one day with the same people, it's going to be so easy. Turns out being stuck in the same place on the same day with the same people for an entire novel is really hard um, because there's no natural progression to the storytelling. And my books hang on being really pacey, propulsive reads. Like that, my stories are supposed to, they're escapism. It's like, pull you through, get lost, have fun that's it and then with this one it was like wait she's just here all the time again (laughs) again yeah and no one's learning anything because they wake up every all every other person in the book can't remember what happened so they all reset every day and you're like oh my god what have I done Uh, (laughs) okay so (laughs) now now that you explain it that way I can see that it would be actually a bit of a writing nightmare (laughs) In many ways. So hard because <laughs> it's a visual gag. Like you don't think about it. Um, and I know there are time loop books, but for the most part, I think the most famous examples of it are film and TV. Mm. So like yeah. like Groundhog Day, obviously, but then Russian Doll and Palm Springs and things like that, where it is a visual joke that, you know, a lot of it's done in montage. A lot of it's done. You, you're laughing at them enduring the comedy of errors of it. And in a book, you've got a be physically with them all the time you can't yeah. do a montage you can't pull away which is like oh god <laughs> like what have I done it's so hard well this is but, probably um, a, yeah. a good time to give a quick rundown of what 
the story is for the listeners if they yes. haven't read the book already. Do you do you have a quick way of explaining the I don't. I'm terrible <laughs> at it. Somebody asked me, some girl came up to me, it's a very sweet human, I'm sure, on the book tour in the UK when I just signed like a hundred books. And she came up to me and sort of waved it in my face and was like, what is it? Uh, and I was like, Christmas Groundhog Day, Christmas Groundhog Day, it's a rom-com. And I just kept screaming at her and surprisingly enough, she did not buy it, but she did get a selfie. Um, so oh I was God. just like, thanks. That's quite cheeky. That's very cheeky. So weird. Yeah. And then she was like, but is it good? I'm like, I, I think so. I yes. don't know anymore. Yes. The answer is always um, yes to that question. But no, thank you. Yeah, I know I should be better at it, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, why ask me? I'm the worst person. Uh, but the the slightly longer pitch than just Christmas Groundhog Day, and it's funny, um, is that we meet uh, Gwen at the beginning of the book, who is our main character. Gwen is a lawyer in London, big city lawyer, headed home for a country cozy Christmas. So we're taking those hallmark tropes and uh, messing with them, basically. Uh, her career is hanging by a thread, let's say that. And she is recently dumped from the guy that she thought she was going to end up with. So she's in a bad way. She really doesn't want to go home because let's be real, going home to your family when you're not in a good way. It's not always the dream uh, that Hallmark would like us to believe that it is. And she thinks she's going to have the worst Christmas ever. And predictably, she is correct. She does have the worst Christmas day of all time. And at least when she goes to bed on Christmas day evening, she thinks at least it's done. Um, but it's not. So she wakes up the next day and discovers she is trapped in a time loop of Christmas day. And she figures out that this is because one of her family members have made a wish and she can only get out of the time loop by granting that wish. But she doesn't know which family member and she doesn't know what the wish is. And she's slowly unraveling over the course of trying to achieve this. And at the same time, she reconnects with her childhood crush, 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 the boy next door, Dev, who is also home for Christmas which is, you know, a fun, bright spot for her, except it transpires that Dev is now engaged to someone else. So it's not even that much fun to hang out with him. Uh, and from there on, shenanigans ensue. Everyone learns some stuff. Um, and it's, I keep saying, like, it's really funny. It's really funny. It, <laughs> it is. I'm going to attest saying. this. It is very Thank funny. <laughs> it is very funny. And there's so much kind of delightful Christmassy situations that you um, stick poor Gwen in. Poor Gwen. Um, <laughs> poor Gwen. There's the yeah. intense sibling rivalry, which is a delight to read. There's this there's a whole weight of family expectations, which I'm sure will be very relatable to lots of readers. There's um, the fierce and wonderful Welsh Nan, who is just yes. brilliant. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there is the the hot neighbour next door that she's had a crush on since she was a kid. Um, so there's so many really fantastic situations that you throw yourself in. From the beginning, um, presumably then right early on, you decided you were going to use the Groundhog Day situation. Did you kind of yeah. know that you wanted to hit some of these kind of real kind of classic Christmas um family difficulties um or did you or do you kind of dive into a book and um and it sort of evolves as it as you're writing on the page yeah I'm not a planner at all really um this one that made this one much more challenging because obviously you had to plan <laughs> if you're going to do a groundhog day friends plan don't be me uh but yeah I I I knew I wanted it to be Groundhog Day. The whole idea came from it being Groundhog Day. So it came, the idea came from the song, I wish it could be Christmas every day. And I'm like, wait, that's, why have we not done that? Genius. Um, and it, so this was a couple of years ago that the idea came up and I and I pitched it to my editor. Um, so I knew it was going to be Groundhog Day before I knew it was going to be anything else. Mm -hmm. And I, it was during a lockdown here in LA that I came up with the concept and started working on it. So I was trapped in LA. Like I live in LA and I know trapped in LA is like, oh, poor me. Uh, but I, I was stuck in LA. I couldn't come home. I couldn't go back to the UK. Um, so there was part of that was in there too. And I think it it makes more sense to me as a concept too when I think of it as a pandemic book because it's, mm. it is, you know, a very trapped book. She's trapped yes, in the day. It does. Um, now that you've said that, it does actually make perfect sense. Yeah, it seems like the perfect book it to makes write more sense. actually during that time, especially because you yeah, it was good. your own family. Exactly. And I could sort of bring all, I basically wrote a dream 
British Christmas. You know, it snows and it's this little countryside village and they go for long walks over the fields and they go to the stately home and they go to the neighbor's house and everything is magical. Um, but also simultaneously, not everything's very real uh, because real family Christmases are not just that. You know, you've also got mum putting the wrapping paper in a bin bag the second the presents are open. I mean, like, right, chop, chop, like everything has to happen now. Um, so all of the, and, and like you say, it's sibling rivalry and dealing with family members you may not want to deal with. Uh, and then the shenanigans she gets into just gradually escalate um, as, <laughs> as things get more and more surreal for her. Uh, but yeah, it was very much that I, I wanted to write a, a Christmas about home, a Christmas about the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, there was also an element of me wanting to subvert some of those Hallmark tropes, yeah. uh, cause I think that's become such a huge thing in general pop culture over the last four or five years. It's huge now, Christmas movies. Uh, so I really wanted to play with that. Also, I think there aren't enough good British Christmas movies, which is not a slight on the UK or actually anywhere that isn't America, anywhere that isn't leaving there is New not, York and going there? back to There's a little countryside town. <laughs> no. So it's like, come on, Hollywood slash Pinewood, whoever's making these things. Like, <laughs> Why would you not want little beautiful countryside? People love the holiday. Uh, everyone loves the holiday. So let's do more British Christmas movies. Uh, so yeah, I was playing with those ideas. And then the family stuff sort of grew out of the edits and the drafting. Um, I knew there were certain things that I wanted in there, but it all sort of got more intense. Nan really changed. Nan started as a very kind, sympathetic, sweet, lovely old lady. (laughs) And she turned into a more acerbic, raised eyebrow, uh, Betty Davis type Nan, who is, you know, brilliant. My favorite character, I have to say. She was also loved Nan very much. Such a joy. Um, yeah, it is a big love letter to uh, female family members. I think the whole book is very much like, go apologize to your mom and make the most of your nan and make up with your sister. I think that's that's the whole thing. Well, I was going to ask that actually, because there's so many things I feel like, um, there's so many family things in there that I think mm-hmm. lots of readers will recognize bits of their own family in there. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just that intensity of being thrown together um, when you maybe haven't seen each other for quite a long time there's a lot of love in the family but there's a huge amount of disconnection and a lot of things go unsaid and over the course of these these kind of Christmases day after day um that starts to come apart and communication starts to happen and it was it was funny actually I wonder if that is the appeal I was trying to think about what is it that we we love about the Groundhog Day type trope yeah which it is in a way a bit of a fantasy because it's like if you could just focus if you could just have to kind of spend all this time with people you you almost feel like you could fix a lot of things in some ways absolutely and it's the getting a second chance you know that's the sad fact of life is isn't it you can't go back and undo anything and and even if it's the slightest thing that you're just like oh I wish I hadn't said that one word at the end of that sentence I wish I hadn't looked at that person that way when I said it um, it doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be momentous things that you just wish you could get a do-over on. Like, I'm haunted by things I said to people in college, you know? I'm like, oh, why did I say that to that guy when he said that to me? And I just didn't know what was I doing if I'd just been smoother. You know, things like that. It's just, I mean, living. we all have anxiety these days. Everyone's got a degree of it. But the things that keep you awake at night where you're like, if I could have just played that slightly differently in whatever area of my life I'm thinking about at the time. Uh, and the Groundhog Day, yeah, the appeal there, I think, is the idea that you can get that do-over. Um, and it starts off being like, okay, well, I can go back and do things differently. But then as it goes on, you're like, wait, am I trapped here forever? Am I? Mm. And does anything I do make any moment? difference? Yeah. Does anything have any moment? Yeah. And there's a real sort of nihilistic moment for Gwen later in the book where she's like, well, nothing matters anymore. So I guess I'll just do whatever I want, uh, which I'm sure is, you know, maybe that's maybe that was a broader statement on life at the time that I wasn't aware of. Maybe I was <laughs> in a weird place that day. <laughs> Uh, it's, and, it, it, and, it's, it's, it's interesting and Gwen herself is interesting she's an extremely high achiever she's been a high achiever all her life but at this point that we meet her everything's starting to fall apart um and you can't help but feel just 
so much for her going back into this family situation just as everything's starting to fall apart. Like you said earlier, it's almost like your worst nightmare, isn't it? Having to yeah. be in an intense oh, family God. situation yeah. when everyone else's lives are going really well and yours is not for the first time. Yeah, uh, it was, it was, it was a, I put her in a rough spot. I was not kind to Gwen. <laughs> it's not quite kind to Gwen. But I think that's, again, like you say, it's just something we can all relate to. And again, it's all relative because Gwen thinks that she's the only one that's in a bad way. And then what she obviously discovers over the course of all of her Christmas days is that everyone's going through their own stuff. And even though they're the people that are closest to her because they're her family and, you know, she thinks she knows everything about them because she's known them all her life, that you never really do. Um, and, you know, my family is, we are dreadful people and we <laughs> put us all in one room together and we're the worst. But did we like actually learn anything about each other? No. Like I, I was home recently um, on the book tour and we went to my aunt's house for my brother's birthday. My dad came and my dad just casually mentions that our great grandmother was Irish. And that he might like get Irish citizenship. And um, we're all just sat around the table, my aunt included, going like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, yeah, Maureen Kane, the redheaded Irish great grandmother. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> and it was just like, this is madness. I'm like, this has never come up. Uh, and I'm like, wow, how many other things do we like? And that's a minor thing, but it's like, we just don't know what is going on ever yeah. with other people. Uh, and that ended up playing into it in a big way. You know, Gwen really finds out that she's not the only one that's had the worst year ever and looking outside of her own experience helps her make sense of her own issues I think uh but yeah families yay families yay family uh, imagine just being one of those families that sit around and tell each other everything and then hug I can't I just like, I, can't I know <laughs> I know there's just it's very it hard to great, imagine but also like absolutely not like I just want to get in the car <laughs> at the end of the day and be like oh Okay. I love you. Bye. It would not necessarily make a very interesting book, I have to say. <laughs> I don't think it would. I don't think it would. Everyone comes home, everyone hugs Gwen and then she leaves. Like that would have been and everything's fine. <laughs> it wouldn't have been fantastic. Um, so you're from South Yorkshire originally. You live in LA yes. now. You've lived in London and New York. You've moved around a bit. And and you're yeah. you're also published on both sides of the Atlantic. And your books are yes. set in all different locations. Is it does the location come very early on in the kind of seed of, of each book? And is it is it completely kind of intertwined with the story? Or is that something that like yeah. your editor and you kind of nut out and decide where it is that this particular next story is going yeah, to Yeah, it's it's usually right at the beginning. Um, so going all the way back to the beginning, my first book was set in New York. Um, and I was living in London then, and that was absolutely like just never thought anyone would read it obviously which most writers I think don't you know you're writing for yourself or you're just writing your little hobby book and it was purely for me <laughs> like I was like what if I went to live in New York with hot boys I you know I was living in London I hated my job I hated my boyfriend I hated everything but I was also in that very you know I'm gonna say Yorkshire attitude of like well this is it this is your lot this is what you're doing now so figure it out um so I thought writing a book would be enough like if I could write a different life I don't need to live a different life I'll just write a book of the life that I want to live um and because I had worked in publishing and and I had sort of an eye on commercial stuff I pitched that original book once it was written and my best friend was like no you really have to let someone else read this and, and thanks to her or I never would have sent it in um to agents and, and publishers uh but when I did start looking at sending out I, I pitched it as a series and I pitched it as destination based so I knew that series was always going to be destination based and and places and I just picked places I wanted to go to honestly <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like well I like these places um and then as time went on I moved to New York um, I got a job in New York broke up with that terrible boyfriend and left um and then yeah it was the same sort of thing I, I picked places that either I had been to and loved or that I really was curious about and wanted to go to. And there were, the only place we ever had a conversation about was Vegas, that my publishers were not convinced by Vegas. Mm -hmm. They thought interesting. most readers wouldn't find Vegas an aspirational place. And we had to have a brief conversation about the kind of person that works in publishing versus every other human um and who might be reading rom-coms that is so um, interesting that is <laughs> right 
And this was sort of the late yeah. 2000s when publishing, and I mean, it's a huge conversation now about who can yeah. work in publishing and who gets through the door. And I was very lucky. I, like you say, I'm from a working class mining village in South Yorkshire. I went to a poly. I went to Nottingham Trent. I didn't have any credentials to get through that door, but was completely qualified for the editorial assistant job that I had. Mm-hmm. But they even then it was such an uphill struggle. And I only got in through like having a previous job experience that made me uniquely qualified for the experience there, or I never would have gotten that job. And everyone was very clear about that. It was a oh, very wow. Fancy, so you really, yeah, even oh, yeah. at the time, you completely felt yeah. like oh, yeah. you were the oh, only. I was told. I was told that I wouldn't have gotten the job if <gasps> I hadn't come with the very specific experience that I had. And in my leaving card, when I left the UK office five years later, the person that had told me that wrote in my leaving card, like, lol, remember when I didn't want to give you the job. Ha ha. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, oh, I wouldn't have put pen to paper there. My <laughs> God. I mean, but yeah, we all know this. Yeah. We all know this is happening. But for it to be so yeah. blatant, that's really quite shocking. And you, you well, were working in now, um, children's publishing. You were working children's. in children's publishing. Yeah. 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 And I think now people know well, people try to keep the quiet part quiet. Whereas back then it was an open secret. Like a lot of the people that were coming into the company and it's all publishers, I'm not singling one out. Yeah. It was all of them, but it was someone's daughter or someone's son. There was massive nepotism across the industry. Absolutely massive. Still is, but yeah. all industries, I guess. But publishing, very much something you would be born into uh, or you know, someone's friend's kid. You would routinely have people coming through where they're like, oh, we have this intern coming in because they're X, Y, Z person's daughter from this place and it for me have again having grown up working class and I was good at English and I loved to write and read and everyone just said well you'll be a teacher like there was no yeah. debate about what I would do I loved to write and I I wanted to do it but I never saw it as an option even the publishing job I got through like I said I'd, I'd worked in licensing before that mm-hmm. as an assistant that I just a job I could get in London I applied for every job in London when I graduated um, and I got this job at licensing and I worked with a brand that the publisher then were making books on that brand and they needed someone to come in and be on their side of, of it that knew mm-hmm. the brand inside out, which is how I got the job. Um, it was just right place, right time. Just so, so lucky. Uh, That's but just... they were very, very clear that if I had not had that very specific experience, there's no way I would have walked through that door and got that job because everyone was doing free work experience and free yeah. internship the internship and I couldn't thing. afford to do that exactly yeah. and it should be uh it should be illegal it should be illegal to be yeah. to, to work should. free everyone should get a living wage yeah like, I, I'm so illegal. I feel so strongly about it and it was the same in New York when I moved there all of the assistants that were getting jobs had done months of free internships because then other people are coming in that have got themselves into crazy debt getting master's degrees I mean the education system in America is wild and the fact it's that so also master's degrees are expected in expected almost every industry to get an in assistant the US. position yeah is and insane. these people were on I can't and obviously there's huge issues right now in, in New York with the Harper Collins strike yeah. and I I look at it and I'm like well yeah they are their minimum wage now is what I was making 13 years ago. Um, and I was a senior editor and I couldn't live in New York on that money. It was only because I went to New York also with my books just coming out. So I had a little buffer, but I was a senior editor in Manhattan in 2009 at 29 years old, living with two roommates Yeah, because it was the only way I could afford to keep a job yeah and it's it's not viable yeah it's it's crazy it's completely wild just this just this week here in the UK I don't know if you saw um the Society of Authors released what their latest average earnings were it's gone from um around the average of 12,000 pounds a year um I think in about seven right I think it's seven or something yeah yeah now to seven and um I mean it's just it's completely crazy it's um the idea that that everyone, including editorial staff, are earning yep. very little money, but yet yep. these companies are very profitable companies somehow exactly. because they're not paying everybody properly. So, yes, there is currently a strike at HarperCollins, isn't there, in, in the US? Yeah. Um, and the attitudes internally are, are wildly varied and it's yeah. it's just very hard. It's very It's a very difficult situation. 
um, because there has always been that devil wears Prada attitude where it's like a job that, you know, a million girls would kill for. So you just have to suck it up and do it. But I have seen so many people leave the industry because they just can't afford to be in it in, on both sides, on writing and um, editing. Yeah, It's really tough. Uh, and that's this is all because you asked me about location. Uh, but yeah, no, that sorry, was, but was we, so it's wild so, It's so no, interesting no, and so important. And uh, yeah, because so it was important. so indicative. It was just a really crystallized moment of this attitude that I sat in a room with people who were like, oh, Las Vegas, who would ever go there? It's disgusting. I was like, well, Actually, I've been. It's super fun. Um, everyone actually, I know loads would of love to go. Want to go? Yeah. yeah, it's super fun. And you, you're judging it based on an attitude that's not comparable to our readers. Um, and even then, it's like you were doing the reader down because in their mind they were like, "Oh, yes, of course," because all your readers are classless, you know, trash bags. <laughs> and I'm like, no you you just don't. You're not the same person as them, and you don't understand different you know different strokes for different folks it was a very weird conversation it was very strange and I I really fought for it because I felt really strongly about it um and it turned out to be correct the right decision <laughs> the correct um yeah decision. so I <clears throat> but that's, but that's broadly so speaking like my publishers are very supportive <laughs> but that's so interesting because so in terms of how you work because you obviously have series and you have also have standalone books how much do you, um, and also you've now worked with your publisher for a really long time, um, yep. how involved do they get? Do you pitch an idea and then you agree based on an idea and then go ahead? Is that generally how you work now? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, like you said, I've been there so long and I've been with the same team the whole time. My my publisher has been my publisher the whole time. Um, and she was my editor who signed me and, you know, other people obviously have come in and out the team, but we've always had the central relationship, which is just, it's very unique. I realize not many people are lucky to have that. And she is one of the greatest people. I can't imagine not working with her. She's so integral to the process that I think we just have a, we have the same brain at this point. I'm pretty sure we know exactly what each other is thinking. Um, and there's just a level of trust. There's just a level of trust where if I pitch something, I think she trusts me to know it's the right thing to do now. We've mm. definitely had, you know, there are issues in the past where she's raised a query or she's been like, are you sure? Or what if, what if it was this? Um, but broadly speaking, it I will come with the idea. She will say, okay can you write, you know, give me a synopsis. So I've got something to show everyone else. And then I go away and write the first draft. And that's a, it's, it is a huge level of trust that she places in me to do that. But like you say, that it's earned over time. Um, That's not a given. And earlier on, because, because they bought three books that were pitched as a series. So I think that was set in stone. Um, And then from there we did a standalone, um, and that sort of opened the door to doing other things. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting position. Everyone's experience of that will be different. So um, in this case, for instance, of The Christmas Wish, yeah. did your editor say to you, for instance, actually, you know, in 2022, we'd really love a Christmas book rather than a summer book? Does that ever come up or or is it you making yeah. those decisions? So in this specific instance, um, this all was put together because of the previous book to this which was on a night like this was my first book in hardback uh and we knew it was going to be november so because Mm. that was november this one was going to be november too and on a night like this was sort of set around december time november december but it wasn't a christmas book um and because it was going to be november i there were two two strands to it one commercially i wanted it to be a christmas book from a commercial perspective, I just knew that gave it its best chance and it gave it a big leg up to have that hook to be able, for the sales team to be able to go out and say, it's going to have Christmas on the cover. Like, please, yeah. please take it. And that, that you can't underestimate that. And I, yeah. I think partly that's my background from when I worked in children's, I worked in film and TV tie-ins. So my sort of from the day one in publishing was extremely commercial. It was always with an eye on selling the end product. It was very rarely about you know, the art of what we were making, which was a Shrek sticker book. So, I mean, how much <laughs> art was there? Uh, so I've always had that commercial approach ingrained in me. And while that doesn't necessarily inform what I write, I think, or at least on a conscious level, I think there is part of me that says, like, how is this going to sell? Like, yeah. yes, it's a story I want to write. Yes, it's meaningful to me. 
yes, it has to sort of move something in me to want to tell the story. But there's also that little voice in the back of my head, which again comes from growing up working class. It's like, but is it going to succeed? Is it going to sell? Are you going to get fired for this? Yeah. Like there's always that little panic in you. This is such an important thing to talk about because this book is, well, first of all, it's a complete delight and I enjoyed it so, so much. But for you to know that you can write the story you want to write um, in the way you want to write it, but also make sure Christmas is on the cover, you know, like it, um, it's really important, you know, going back to what we were just talking about, this idea of like how much authors are earning and how to make a living doing these things. Um, If, if we all as writers can, can sort of work in a way that helps our work get out there, helps readers find our work, then Yeah. um, yeah, I mean, it's, Certainly not. And you're not, we're not all going to have the luxury of saying, you know, the success of it doesn't matter. You know, that's just the reality. So, one of the most frequent questions I get asked is, like, how do you write a book a year? I'm like, well, partly because I think I'm mentally unwell and just my brain is always coming out with absolute madness and it needs an outlet. And the second, part is it's my job like it is my it's my that's how I put a roof on my head that's how I stay alive and um I mean I'm a very driven person and again I do think it all pulls back to my upbringing and Mm. I I'm I have a massively strong work ethic that I want to work and I want to succeed and I want you know my family aren't really around anymore there's not many members of my family around but I want to be like look I did it I I'm working I made this work um, and that is a big part of it to me. And I think if you can, even if you're writing your absolute dream book that you have to get out of you, if you can just have one little moment in the back of your mind and be like, why would anyone read this? Yeah. Because that's the first question an agent or a publisher is going to ask. And that you need to be able to answer that question in your querying process. You need to be able to say, you should buy this book because, and it can't just be because I love it, because that's not an answer to anyone else. Yeah. You know, that's it's, it's such an important part all the way through. There's no day when I like I still cannot just be like, well, just publish it because I think it's great. Because I like, think it's wonderful. You. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, I think great. this is this is so important. I work with nonfiction um writers um mm-hmm. working on their proposals. And one thing that I always have to <laughs> drill into people is this idea of like, well, who? Who and what is the point? Yeah. Who's going to yes. buy it? And what is the point? And you have to know your point right, right, right from the beginning. And yeah. you do have to think about your reader quite a lot when you're writing a proposal, when you're writing, you know, putting um, a yeah. book together. You can at points put them to a su- to the side if it's stopping you yes. from being very honest and open. If it helps you to kind Absolutely. of not think about them when you're kind of writing the meat, but. But when mm-hmm. you're kind of putting the ideas together, if you don't have an idea in your mind about who would read the, read this, why they would bother, and what the point is, then yeah, um, then we will feel that when we read the book. One hundred percent. There has to be authenticity in the voice and in the writing. And I do think, yeah, there's, and I think that's the thing that gets thrown at romance a lot as a genre that people are like, oh, it's just a collection of tropes. It's written to order as a collection of tropes, and it's like, no, it's not fair. Like, I'm, I'm sure there are people that pick a trope and say, I want to write this. Um, I wasn't even really aware of the tropes until like three years ago um, when people were like, oh, it's it's a this meets this. And I was like, wait, what? And they're like, it's a friends to lovers with just one bed and forced proximity. And I'm like, wait, what are you? What is this madness? Um, and obviously like, tropes have always existed. I remember doing a, a, a seminar in university about like tropes in Mills and Boone novels and Harlequin yeah. novels and like haven't thought about it since. Because to me, it's just about writing a really fun propulsive story that that goes somewhere um so yeah you can't think about it or I can't think about it when I'm writing it I can't be like oh this has to hit this button because it's so hot right now because also it's so hot right now won't be hot by the time your book comes out yeah uh you can't write to a trend unless you are someone that writes a book in six weeks and it comes out six months later like it's so hard to try and catch a trend once it's on fire um but you but the trend shouldn't matter if your book is good and you have that hook and there is a genuine reason. Like if I was writing a rom-com now, if I'm a debut romance author, my pitch letter can't just be like, romance is really hot right now, publish it. You know, it has to be romance is really hot right now. Um, I don't think this example of it previously existed. This story is about X experience, which is uniquely mine, but broadly speaks to an audience because of Y uh you know I think you just have to know why and like you say it's just it's so important and it is it's going to be the first thing an editor or an agent looks at because they can 
work with the writing. That's yeah. the other crazy thing that people are like, oh, but don't, shouldn't I pay for an editor to look at it before? Shouldn't I do this? Shouldn't I do that? And like a good editor is going to see your potential and the talent and the creativity and the spark in it. And they will work with you to get that right. No one's pitch is perfect. No one's book goes through the door the way it went in. Um, what you really need to be able to sell is why they should do it. Yeah, I think that's such good advice to really focus in on that. And on the kind of whole topic of romance and romantic comedy, um, I yeah. always think of it as romantic comedy. Um, it, it's kind of considered more romance in the US, isn't it? Are your books yes. slightly sold differently in the two places? They, it's been really interesting. So in the UK, it's been pretty consistent. So I came out at the tail end of Chicklet, um, you know, the fabled days of Chicklet. Uh, I came out right at the end of that. So it was a very easy to understand concept for people because they're like, okay, we know what this is right now. We'll sell it as that. And I was lucky enough to build an audience at that time. That audience has stayed incredibly loyal. Like I have incredible readers that have stayed with me all the way through. Um, I also came in right at the beginning of social media um, and just fully embraced that <laughs> as something that, you know, to me, that's my talking to people at the in the office kitchen. You know, I can't go to the kitchen and make a cup of tea and catch up with my coworkers. So to me, that's social media. I'm like, hey, what's up? What's everyone doing? What did you watch on telly last night? This is fun. So I've just always enjoyed social media on that level. Um, and that just kept things pretty consistent in the UK. I had a brand identity. And when when Chicklets got to wane, um, I already had a an established base. So I was lucky enough to keep going. Um, in the US, it's been very different. When I first published here, and they published my first book, but they published it with this like very cool photographic cover um, that it was like, I Heart New York, a novel. Um, and I'm like, yeah, it's a, it, it is a novel. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I don't really know. Um, but they positioned was it, it sort as of more branded, of a so the literary. The, was a bit more literary then? Oh, it was completely different. Yeah, it was much more literary. They pushed it because it wasn't romance. They were like, we yes, can't make they had... this a Harlequin romance. And all they had yeah. at the time was contemporary um, fiction and not even contemporary women's fiction. Women's fiction, I hate that title too. But like, it was just contemporary fiction or literary fiction or it was romance. And they're like, uh -huh. we don't want to publish it as romance, which now I'm like, was probably completely the wrong idea. You probably should have published it as romance. But that felt, that was positioned as a slap in the face. They were like, oh, but put it through as romance. And I'm like, well, more people will find it. What, what a nightmare. What an absolute lot of people read it. Yeah. <laughs> and so then it went very quiet over here because, you know, the first one did pretty well. And then it was also a series and they chose to skip the second book in the series because they didn't think anyone in America would want to read about Hollywood. <laughs> so they skipped it and went straight to the third book of I Heart Paris. And then strangely enough, people were like, wait, what? <laughs> like, how do we go from New York to Paris? There's clearly something missing here. Oh, and there my goodness. Whole book. Yeah. So it was a weird, and that and Paris was also positioned as, as, as you know, contemporary fiction instead of romance and then so we had a moment weirdly Canada was different Canada was push, pushing as romance with these really pretty illustrator covers and they were doing better with it um and then as romance has sort of picked up here in the last few years uh it's changed the the, the, the attitude here has changed and now my books are more broadly positioned as romance Mm. Um, because now they're hungry for romance. No one can publish enough romance. They want more ro romance. But the issue now in the US with my books being published as straight romance or as rom-com is people <laughs> will review it on Goodreads and Amazon and be like, well, why is there no very graphic sex scenes? This isn't a romance. This, this, this is the thing. Is funny. This is, to me, what I feel like is the difference between romance mm -hmm. and romantic comedies. And romance, yes, to me, involves quite a lot of sex on the page. And yeah. Usually it's so, right it's so hot right now. It's so hot right now. On the cover. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think we grew up in an age where it was, you know, I grew up with my nan reading Mills and Boone, like five Mills and Boons a week with just like a shirtless man or a doctor and a nurse looking longingly at each other. And if I'd known what was in them, I'm like, nan, you racy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think I grew up with an idea of what romance is and the current present day romance is much more sort of contemporary fiction with very graphic sex scenes nice. um and now a lot of the romance readers which are very young like romance readership now skews very young which i think yeah. again is a fascinating sociological look at the pandemic that these younger women who weren't able to go out and have a social life and you know 
do stuff, let's say, they got really into romance novels, whereas they wouldn't have before. Because no one my age, when I was in my early 20s, was openly reading romance. You know, it, you just wouldn't have. No, um, that, that's so now, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. All in. So now, all in. What, so you're considered in the US um, under the kind of banner of romance. But I'm under the banner of romance. Certain, <laughs> certain yeah. like, um, it's just, it's fascinating. It's completely fascinating. But um, yeah. But just in general, the kind of the whole genre and how it's how it's sort of changed. I mean, even um, just the other day, Je- Jenny Colgan was tweeting about the fact, you know, mm-hmm. it's the end of 2022. There's been loads of kind of best of lists at the end yeah, of the year, yeah, as they always do with all the big mm-hmm. national papers. And, and of course, romance and romantic comedies don't have their own lists. You know, these no. these places will have, they'll have lists of crime yeah. novels, they'll have sci-fi fantasy. Um, big surprise, yeah. they don't put romance, even though it is one of the highest grossing genres it's like in 25% of the whole market right now it's insane and they usually throw us a bone you know one one author will get shoved into the list this year um I'm ecstatic because I think she's incredible and she's just a lovely person but it's Emily Henry is yeah. getting the bone this year she's getting the like this is a good book and it's like it's an exceptional book actually it's like, it's book lovers is an exceptional it is book exceptional. Um, it is idea... exceptional and but it's funny yeah. it's like like so that you get the odd you get the odd author who people yeah. like, well, will allow you into the kind of general yes. fiction category yeah um yeah but they won't necessarily kind of single out romance or romantic comedies and it's as a treated whole as genre. though she is um it's treated as though that book has elevated itself above romance you know it's like well this book is more than your general romance this book is actually a good book and it's like what wait what so in in commending this book you've insulted an entire genre which, as you say, can be separated into a million subgenres mm. that is voraciously read, that is massively supported by women. The industry is written by women and largely women of color, uh, queer people. You know, like it's all these people who are marginalized everywhere else in publishing is holding this whole genre up. And, and also, yeah, it's just authors being actually making a living as well. Making authors a living. Making, making a, really a living. living. Yeah. It's wild. And the fact that publishing and culture in general, because it's not just publishing, like you say, it's it's the reviewers and it's it's you know media and everyone else, they embraced sci-fi and fantasy before romance. Yeah. When I'm like, you know what I've definitely got more expensive experience as as a human is relationships than dragons. You yeah. know, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you're gonna like legitimize and I again it's no shade on fantasy and sci-fi. I love fantasy and sci-fi. I'm writing paranormal YA right now. So I'm like, of course all in on that. But I'm like, you're gonna legitimize this as a genre and say, let's look at the top 10 books in this genre before something that's about human experience. I find and it again, I mean I can't do it without beating my misogyny drum. Like it is just pure misogyny. It is misogyny. It's- and it, it, what drives me crazy as well is that um I feel like people are almost uh, quite happy and vocal and allowed to kind of love Nora Ephron and to talk about, you know, their love for kind of, you know, classic romantic comedy films. But the idea that, um, you know, that, that a romantic comedy book, which this book is just as clever as the film ground. (laughs) You know, it's just as enjoyable, (laughs) just as brilliant. But, you know, um, people are quite happy to kind of put Groundhog Day of the film up on a pedestal um, with its grumpy male star. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet... Who finds love. Who finds love. love. Exactly. I mean, it's all the kind of things that we enjoy. Groundhog Day is a rom-com. It's a rom-com. Scrooge is a rom-com. Yeah, anyway. It drives me. It drives me crazy as well. But... So one thing that I've noticed, um, and I don't know how it's changed because obviously you've been working now in this um, yeah. in this field for sort of 13, 14 years, is that yeah. from what I see um, as someone kind of not working in this genre, I just see so much love and support within the authors of that community. Yes. And yeah. I mean, you see that with authors generally, very much so, but within mm-hmm. this community in particular, I mean, just the support I see that you all give each other is really incredible. Yeah. Um I, I guess I wanted to know, is that is that partly because the genre is a little bit maligned, you know, and, yeah. and seen as just very commercial and not necessarily um, very literary? Yeah. Is that, do I think, you think there's that an element of solidarity. Through? Yeah. Yeah, there's a definite element of solidarity here. Um, the first person who messaged me about the Christmas wish was Beth O'Leary, 
um, who I've become friends with, and she emailed me and was like, "Oh my god, this must have been so hard. It looked, it looks like reading it. You know, as an author, it looked so hard. I was like, oh my god, it was so hard, and I nearly cried because I was like, someone understands because it's so wild. You'll get." Um, and romance readers are obviously like hugely active as a community too, but you know a lot more cutthroat in their in their approach to to tagging you in their reviews. Um, but the reviews of Christmas Wish are wild because they will go from one person saying, "Oh, it's actually quite profound, and it's like, there's a lot of deep stuff in here about families and about who we are and what we need and being seen and heard and understood." And you know, it's it also funny, but like it, it sneaks this message through to you, which I'm like, "Well, I guess it does." I wasn't really thinking, but yes, I get it. And then the next review will be like cheesy Hallmark Christmas, lol. Uh, <laughs> but things are true. Like you can read it just as a super fun, light, fluffy read that you know gets you through a Sunday afternoon and the holidays, and you've had a lovely time. Or you can read it and see more in there about you know family relationships and dynamics and stuff and personal development. And it's all true. Both things are true. Yeah. Um, but when Beth messaged me and said this must have been so hard, I'm like, it was so hard, uh, and it was incredible. But yeah, I I just I don't know what I would do without the authors um, that I'm friends with who are just so supportive and everyone's there. And, you know, I just did the tour in the UK and I did two dates in the US as well. And they were mostly in conversation with people. Um, and it was like the people I was already friends with who I wanted to hang out with or like authors. I'm like, this, I want to hang out with this person. They seem so cool. And it is just universally a, a fantastic experience. I, I just can't say enough good things about it. And I came, my, background was in PR and then in publishing and in the 2000s when you know women were pitted against each other and it was that very glamorous bitchy approach to life where it's like well only one woman can succeed and there's no such yeah. thing as friends here and you know PR was very very mean and um, I had a great experience in publishing in London but when I moved to New York it was just so brutal like honestly every day I was like do they think they're curing cancer here they are making children's books like it was so unpleasant and cruel and the bullying and everyone trying to one-up everyone and trying to undermine each other instead of boosting each other and I couldn't understand it it genuinely was beyond me um no one wanted to have fun everyone just wanted to succeed and they wanted to be the one that succeeded um, it was very Highlander, you know, it was like, there can only be one. And I'm like, no, actually, there's like 50 of us and we, we all need to be working or, or the company will go under. Um, but the authors themselves, it's just been, it's been amazing. And it is very much in the genre because I for sure have met with authors outside the genre who were like, what do you do? Oh, that's so cute. You know, there's been, when I lived in New York, that was very much the attitude if yeah. I met other writers and then they would be like, oh, you know, do you do you make a living? Is that your full-time job? And I'm like, yeah, it is, yeah. You? No? Cool. Um, because it was yeah, just a very um, snobby attitude towards it, which is insane to me. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's crazy because if I think about these genres, you know, I think about I think about women making a living being writers. And this is yes, this is huge. very difficult to do in most genres. But yes. probably in in romantic comedies and crime, they're probably the two areas that you can actually probably make a yeah, you know exactly, a pretty exactly. good living. Yeah. I remember going on a date with a guy in New York who his it was online dating. He his profile was that he was a writer um and he messaged me and we went on this date and I was like oh this is fun I've never like been on a date with a writer this is going to be great we're going to already have so much in common and like so much to talk about and he sort of asked me what I wrote and I told him and he was just like oh is it not like embarrassing for you to tell people that that's what you do like do you use your real name are you not really embarrassed for people to know that and I was just so taken aback I didn't even know how to defend myself I was just like oh um I don't know. Uh, should I be? And he was oh, like, yeah, yeah, you should be. Yeah. I wouldn't tell people. And obviously then I'm like, well, this isn't going anywhere. Is it? <laughs> You're embarrassed to be with me because I'm a working author who's making a living. And then it transpired that he had never, he didn't even have an agent. Like his novel was in his drawer, but he was just waiting for it to happen. And I'm like, well, wouldn't it be an, a, a much nicer place, date or no date? Like if we had met and you had told me you were a writer and your novel's in your drawer and you're working on it. And then I'd said, oh, my God, let me read it. Or like, maybe I, my agent can look at it. Or maybe I know someone who would love it. And then you've made a connection instead of you just dismissing me out of hand because yeah. you don't accept what I do. And 
that's the difference between romance and everything else to me. Yeah. Is that if that had been another romance writer, they would have said, oh my God, that's so amazing. I write that too. And then I would have been like, oh my God, let me read it. Let me see if there's any way we can help each other, whether it's a, I could critique it for you or I can just give you a, a pass you on to someone else who could help you. And it doesn't need to be genre defined. There shouldn't be boundaries. Also, there's no such thing as a genre reader anymore. Everyone reads across everything. I, I read. Oh, it's wild. Everything. I get so, I find it so strange. And I, I have to say, generally, most writers I meet read very widely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do find it strange when I meet someone that has whole genres that they don't get on with. I mean, some, when it involves lots of violence and, you know, that kind of stuff, I can get why people don't. I don't. I used to actually, when I was a teenager, I loved reading horror. I loved reading Stephen King. Same. I actually can't yeah. cope quite so much with it anymore. I do yeah. love his other it work, but I can't quite It has to be like a quite big so deal for me to read a horror novel now. I don't yeah. read a ton of horror, um, but I love sort of a dark contemporary. Like, yes. like Secret History is one of my, my all-time favourite books. So any, as soon as I see anything, I'm such a mug. As soon as I see anything come up that's like, secret history meets or the new secrets like, i'm like i will sold. read all of them and i'm like what is wrong with me and then every time i'm like it's not the secret history I'm like well, of course it isn't you poor um, nothing is the secret but history. I, I do yeah and I, I i don't read a ton of crime um because i don't love a woman in a fridge you know i don't i don't want to see another thing where a woman dies to motivate someone else's storyline but as you say so many women are coming into crime writing now and i yeah. think it has improved the genre a thousandfold yeah because it just brought another perspective which yeah. takes me back to that same conversation with that guy it's like what if he had read my book and he had helped me see a new perspective on something but he didn't because he was just like nope nope, nope that is and i just think me. we all have so much to learn from each other i learn something from every book i read that will inevitably find its way into my work consciously or subconsciously like how could it um, not on that note um can you tell me anything that you read recently anything that's either coming up or that is out sort of yes. fairly recently that you have absolutely loved oh any genre I'm so like. bad I have a I keep a list on my phone because I read so much I can never remember anything um the the two well there's been a lot of books I love this year but um actually I'm saying I don't read you know that much stuff but I um I loved the change um, which is Kirsten or Kristen Miller, I can't remember ever, which is terrible. But The Change was one of my absolute favourite books of the year, which is an incredible sort of speculative, it's speculative, but it's super grounded. It's about these three middle-aged women who are going through menopause and in various states in their own life, and they develop what can only be described as a superpowers and sort of come together as a trio to avenge wronged women. To solve I, this crime because one of them can book. see I haven't ghosts. read it yet. I mean, oh my it's god, so it's up my incredible. street. <laughs> it's wild because it sounds in every time I pitch it, people are like, so it's angry old women who get superpowers. I'm like, how dare you? It is because it, I mean, obviously, it really subverts that angry middle-aged woman trope because yeah. it just takes it and it's like, oh, you think we're angry? Like, well, watch what we can do when we have superpowers. Um, because they're not angry, they're justifiably pissed off. Um, but it's super grounded. It's actually incredibly grounded. Um, my agent, I gave it to my agent and she rec she described it as Lovely Bones meets Leanne Moriarty. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good vibe because it's sort of Ooh. a twisty thriller, but it's got a supernatural vibe, but it's not overtly sci-fi or, or, or fantasy. It's just, it's the vibe. Um, you just absolutely believe that they have these powers. It's so believable. It's so grounded. Oh gosh, I loved it. Good. Um, and then I also really loved Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson. <gasps> I loved that book so much. Been, oh, oh my God. I've given it to so many people. <laughs> I loved it so much. It I felt like it was the book that's been missing from my life for my whole life. I from, was yeah, so excited from the moment it was announced because um, yeah. Juno obviously writes YA usually. And this was her first, this was her first adult novel, wasn't it? Yeah. I think and so, yeah. it was just, it was a gift. It was a gift to us. <laughs> Just yeah. Oh, I messaged her and I was like, 15-year-old Lindsay, thank you. And then I immediately replied, like, but also adult Lindsay, I don't mean that to be an insult. It's just like, I wish I'd had this when I was 15. I'm like, as I grew up watching Buffy, I loved, yeah. you know, the other wizard series that sh shall not speak its name. Um, which again, I'm like, no, it's no offense to the books themselves. I know people love the books and I love that people love something, but I'm not super down with that author. Yeah. So um the idea that there is now an alternative which oh, and has what the same an level of world building oh. and the same yeah. level of of development. I just 
oh, you just, I just was in it from the first page. You're in that world. You're with those characters. Again, it's just so believable. It's fantasy, but written as you expect to look out your window and see these people walking down the street. And it's such a rich world. I just, I cannot wait for the sequel. I am obsessed with it. I just keep banging on about it. Um, but yeah, they those two, I think, were my two biggest winners. Book lovers, I did love. Oh, I loved it so much. Book lovers, um, <laughs> This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub, who I love Emma Straub, but that's, that's also a time, mess with time storyline. She goes back in time and hangs out with her dad. Like she goes back to when she, I think it's her 16th birthday. It's set on her 40th birthday, I want to say, and she wakes up on her 16th birthday. Um, it's, I, oh, it's just, there were so many great books this year. So many bloody good books. Um, and a ton of good stuff coming next year as well. I just got the new Emily Henry. I, that oh, you've got yesterday. it already? So I got the proof today. No. And, um, oh, yesterday, sorry, and today is cancelled. Um, today is off. Uh, I have the adult debut from Holly Smale which I'm really excited about, the Cassandra Complex. That's a Groundhog Day type storyline, I think, as well. It's time related, which I'm really excited about because Holly is such an intelligent person. Um, I've followed her since her YA. She's fascinating. Um, the Cheska Major, um, which, oh, my God, I've forgotten what it's called. But that's oh, yeah, I'm very excited about that. I think that's March. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I have that to read. My holiday, my Christmas is going to be amazing. And I just got this one, um, which is called uh, The Things We Do to Our Friends, which I'm really excited about because it was pitched to me as a secret history. <laughs> and once again, I've fallen for it. For fans of the film Promising Young Woman with Shades of the Secret History, I'm like, Ooh, please inject yes. this directly into my veins. Like, <laughs> I don't want to read it. Just put it into my grey matter immediately. Um, but that is uh, January 2023. So by Heather Darwin, that's a debut. I'm really excited about that one too. Oh, well, thank you so much for chatting books with me and chatting your own work. Um, it's been such a pleasure. I, I, what, I'm so sorry. I feel like I want to keep talking to you for another four hours. And I, I know we could, we, we, we could. <laughs> I'm sure there are some people listening that go, yeah, keep going, keep going. Um, but I will <laughs> let you get on with your day. And I'm very jealous that you couldn't Emily Henry to, to get, dig into. I kept seeing it pop up on social media and I fully was like, at what point do I message her and say, You're like, where is I my proof? Book, please. Yeah. Like the full tiny Tim or like the full Oliver, like, please, <laughs> Emily, I'd like a book. Um, and I thought, no, leave the woman alone uh, and it came yesterday so my patience was a virtue and I oh I'm so excited I'm so excited about it it's going to be a banger and it's coming out in hardback I think I think she's going to hardback for the first time oh I'm so um, pleased which is exciting I'm so pleased for her I just her books have been such a joy to read and yeah. um <clears throat> and I think um this year I had a proof so I read it in paper but um then the day yeah. that it came out I immediately downloaded the audiobook because her audiobooks yeah. are so brilliant really great yeah. yeah. And she's just a really nice person, which I know I keep saying all these people like Beth O'Leary is incredibly nice, but Emily Henry is so nice and so generous to other authors. She mm -hmm. has done so much to support uh, romance and women writers uh, all over the world that she really commits to it. And she's, you know, she's, she is the moment. She is an icon. She is a legend. She is the moment. Uh, she doesn't have to do that. And she goes out of her way to do it. And I, not everyone does it. Yes, it's a massively supportive society, but not everyone goes out of their way to publicly champion things the way that she does. You, I mean, my book has an Emily Henry quote on the cover, but look at how many books have Emily Henry quotes on them. That is such a, a signal of like a good human. Yeah, so generous. And she's actually a great person to follow on social media for people who love the yes. genre because her recommendations are top notch. Um, yeah. And, and she's on a that great note friend, as well, so. where is the best place if people want to get in contact with you, hang out with you online? Where, where is the I best place? I am always there. <laughs> um, so Instagram is the best place right now, I would say. I spend more time on Instagram than anywhere else um, at Lindsay Kelk. Uh, I'm on deadline, so I am in those DMs daily. Uh, <laughs> because who wants to worry about their copy edits when they could be replying to messages um, about exactly. Percy Pig nail polish, which I've had <laughs> so many of those messages today. I'm like, yeah, I know, it's cool. Um, yeah, Instagram, at Lindsay Kelk. I'm on Twitter, at Lindsay Kelk. I feel like I think we're all on less Twitter than we used to be, but I'm there. Yeah. I'll be there until it blows up. <laughs> um, and Facebook as well. I actually have a book club group on Facebook, um, which is on my Facebook page, which again, you just search for Lindsay Kelk and it will come up. We have an iHeart book club, um, which is just the nicest group of people sharing their own recommendations. And, you know, I pick a couple of books a month for people to 
jump off as a jumping off point um and then everyone just sort of recommends their own stuff they just did a secret santa like a global secret santa that was just my little heart (laughs) every time someone posts their books that a stranger has sent them it's so beautiful Um, yeah it's just so a really wholesome kind heart place there is no bad chat there's no they don't even sort of give bad reviews of books it's like if i love it we'll talk about it if we don't we'll just but like, oh, i didn't love it and move on yeah. but there's no shaming there's no darkness there i love it it's good people well that is wonderful i will definitely put all those links in the show notes and the christmas wish is out now it's out in hardback it's gorgeous um it is perfect as a christmas present for a loved one or for yourself um <laughs> yes i might have to reread over christmas i mean i it, there's something over christmas time i always read quite a lot and i always um try and read just nothing to do with work stuff and yeah, throw myself yeah, into something same. just delightful and that's going to take me away so. My husband is reading it right now, which is the weirdest experience because I obviously have not read it um, and I finished it a year ago. So to me, it's really strange that watching it through someone else's eyes. Is it and the he's first reading time it he's and, read it? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't read. I don't let anyone read while I'm working on it. Oh, um, and he's not a massive reader. He works crazy hours, so he doesn't read a ton. Um, but he will always read my book. But he's been reading it over the last few every time he stops and goes like oh I'm like what 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 was it what made you laugh and I've completely forgotten everything that happened in it so I'm like oh that was good yeah <laughs> keep, keep going um so it's been pretty funny to watch someone else read it and enjoy it oh well thank you so much for being with me today oh no thank you for having me it was a real treat <laughs> 